and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Hello and welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet Spotlight Show, sponsored by Snickers Crunch. Tonight, <laughs> the Retro Review takes centre stage and what better pay-per-view to cover in WrestleMania season than perhaps the greatest WrestleMania of all time, WrestleMania 17, sponsored by Snickers Crunch. Uh, for those of you that don't follow the Retro Review, we started with the goal of doing every single pay-per-view of the 2000s. We've started to put the back catalogue up on YouTube, uh, exactly 21 years to the month. I don't understand that either, but that's what we're doing now. Uh, so, listen to us here and then mark the dates in your diary, April 1st, 2022. <laughs> Come see our beautiful faces on YouTube then. Sponsored by Snickers Crunch. <laughs> and before we move on, uh, obviously, bit of housekeeping at Suplex Retweet, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet community, get involved in the conversation. Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet on iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, and Android. Got a lot to get through here because we were late in recording due to my crappy computer. <laughs> <laughs> but before we move on, I've got my WrestleMania top on. There we go. Rock Austin WrestleMania X7 top on. And it's time to meet the panel. First, this man claims to be all sweaty and is blaming his heavy breathing to the fact that his Zoom fitness class ended less than 10 minutes ago. That excuse didn't work last time, it won't work this time. Hands where I can see them, Gary Kelman. <laughs> oh, thank you, guys. Um, forgive the heavy breathing, I'm just excited to talk about WrestleMania 17. Up next is a man who can sometimes be heard on Clyde One Super Scoreboard is the only man Gordon DL likes less than Mark Wilson. And he's seen on his Instagram account wearing his mum's clothes. It's Chris Murray. <laughs> on the most recent episode of Super Scoreboard that I was on with Gordon, he said, I don't like that man, and pointed to me. <laughs> mm. I heard it and I was so proud. Like, That's my pal who does the like. <laughs> Thanks for having us. What have you ever done to DL? <laughs> well, I, I kind of set him up by asking him in a question to name the country that Dubai is in. I was like, I don't think he will get it correct, and he did not. Did, did he not say the United States of Arab? He did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, better watch that man turns too quickly. We know that size. You'll take your eye out. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, up next is a man who loves the hardcore title match on this show. And judging by his user history on our old family computer, it's not the only hardcore title he's enjoyed. Scott McLeod, ladies and gentlemen. I like chicken. <laughs> okay. There was a sign, there was actually a sign at WrestleMania X7 that says, I like chicken. I wanted to mention it, didn't know how to work it in. <laughs> Scott, I have a whole section on my notes just about signs. So let's hope we get to <laughs> And finally, sporting a hat with Paul Heyman to hide a hairline like Kurt Angle, it's David Hockney. How are you doing, Ross? And I, can tell, you, I can tell you my commentary would be a lot better than Paul Heyman's. Oh, oh no, Paul, I love Paul Heyman at this time. I loved him. Uh, well, at least I'm not, i tell you what, at least I'm not rocking a, a ponytail, because, you know, a ponytail <laughs> with that hairline is just not, it's just not needed. I know, it's, it's not accepting of it. Now, there's 12 matches on this card here, folks, and with every great pay-per-view, there is some filler, so I'm just going to quickly mention these uh, and pass them by. Uh, Sunday Night Heat, X-Factor defeated Steve Blackman and Grandmaster Sexy. 
The most interesting thing about this match is in my notes I put GMS for short and I keep thinking Gary McKay Stephen. Uh, so <laughs> that's about it. Uh, the APA and Taz defeated the right to censor. China defeated Ivory and the Iron Sheik won the gimmick battle royal. Just before we move on to the actual card here, guys, I'm going to start with Gary. Just briefly, if you could pick one character from history to have been in that gimmick battle royal and win it, who would it have been? Oh, I love the gimmick battle royal. I absolutely pop for it. almost every single entrance. I mean, I didn't care about the, the dumpster drossy or the goon. Uh, <laughs> I didn't remember most of them first time round. Um, oh, Bobby the Brain Heenan's comeback at WrestleMania. I mean, that is just classic. I loved it. Uh, absolutely loved it. <laughs> but just quickly, Gary, uh, who would you have had in the match if you could have picked one extra entrant? Oh, that's a question, Ross. That's a question. Great gimmicks. Uh, it had to be somebody with a gimmick. Maybe, maybe the big boss man of the Mountie. The Mountie I'll go for. Because I loved Mountie. it when his theme song got played at TakeOver Toronto when the Velveteen <laughs> Dream came out. Um, Chris, a great character that wasn't there, who would you have picked? Uh, my answer was stolen. I was going to say the Mountie, so instead I'm going to change... And I'm gonna go for either the honky tonk man that I know I think turned turned it down because he said he didn't have a gimmick and he was just too stand up to do it. Or um, fresh from SummerSlam at Wembley, what about nails? Nails. But <laughs> <laughs> the deep voice. Fair enough. Uh, Scott, a character that wasn't there. Well, I would have said the Mountie as well. I would say either Big Boss Man because we know he was there. He was there in 2000. Came back, you know, to have him come out in the old-fashioned blue, blue shirt again, like the old days, you know. Because I know one of my gang was met him as a keem. Apparently, he's lost too much weight, and so the old outfit didn't fit him anymore. Or, <laughs> or like Ed Leslie, not wasn't up too much in 2001. Big, big British the barber beefcake out with the big shears. <laughs> David, obviously, this this isn't run about your time period. The Attitude Era, you came in at the Ruthless Aggression Era. The people in this match are even further back, so... Yeah. If you can... It's any time period it's open to. Any great character, who would you like to have seen in there? Oh, I do have a... I did have one in mind that sort of came into my head, and I figured, well, since the gobbledygooker was in this battle royal, why not just get another animal in there? Mantar! Mantar, what a shout, yes. I mean, you know, just seeing a bull clash with a with a rooster, I think it would just be sheer hilarity just when you didn't have enough crazy characters in that battle royal to begin with. <laughs> the plot, by the way, for Hillbilly Jim, when people asked why was he going into the Hall of Fame, go watch this match back. Not the match, just the entrances. And the pop Hillbilly Jim gets, oh my God, they go mental. I think the most <laughs> guy in it, actually, also me, because Jericho showed up dressed as him on the Raw before this. Doink, like the booze for Kamala. He throws Doink out in this match. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even the original Doink. I know, it's probably, it was probably just Joe backstage or so, some other Sunday night heat job. I love the original heel Doink, the evil clown. That was, that was class. I loved it. The thing with Iron Sheik winning this, it's a shame this didn't take place after a few of these like, infamous shoot promos would have happened because he would have been the oldest over guy in the building if that had happened. And that, yeah, that segment with Slaughter afterwards, you know, he just puts the, the Cobra clutch on him and they have to get broken up by none other than Teddy Long of all people. He's like, all right, now, hold on a minute, players. 
Yeah, apparently the reason uh, Sheik won is because he was so beat up by this time that he couldn't take a bump. And it was meant to be Slaughter. So they had Slaughter go out third. Iron Sheik, I believe it was Hillbilly Jim he eliminates. Mm-hmm. And then Sheik comes, eh, sorry, Slaughter comes back in to get the big pot. I think, you know, great characters. Million dollar man. I would have loved to have seen him there. Ooh. I think I that would have been... Or big IRS, yes. Uh, but we'll move on to uh, the first. So we'll, we'll talk about the opening package before we move on to the first match. So the opening package, narrated by Freddie Blassie, as was the law in the Attitude Era. You weren't allowed to have an open video package without life. What is it? <laughs> Why do they keep bringing me back for these? <laughs> uh, it's billed as a celebration of life as we see people watching WrestleMania, such as a young couple watching it in a burnt-out Camaro, uh, the women from the Scottish Widows Insurance advert watching it on a portable TV, uh, four women dancing around what looks like the green screen with a picture of U2's Joshua Tree on it, and Scott, who pointed out in the group chat, a man watching in a window who looks oddly like a young Steve Merchant. So there is... <laughs> and then a mask... This is before the office, we don't know what he was up to. <laughs> there you go. A massive tonal shift as Snickers, chocolate starfish and hot dog flavoured water yells my way at us and welcomes us to WrestleMania 17. So we're going to quickly come into our first match. AEW up-and-comer and Winnipeg's favourite Trump supporter Chris Jericho versus man still employed by WWE to year water games once a year, William Regal. Um, for the IC title to open up and Scott Regal's such a beloved figure with NXT now but the booze he gets here this is proper heel heat he is an old fashioned heel here mm-hmm. oh yeah totally I mean I think he's definitely one of those characters who doesn't get appreciated by a lot of fans from this era until they grow up a bit later on and watch the stuff but I think mm-hmm. you know he's just a commissioner abusing his power they like he up Jericho and oh, Jericho told me shut up which is well, I think whenever I see Jericho's Twitter feed today, um, <laughs> I just love Regal's gear with the classic red trunks, the red boots, and that. Because like, I remember having the action figure Regal with this attire. So when I think what Regal like comes to the ring as this is the attire, I think of, and I think they did a really good job at the very end of that video package where they show him getting like injured in Jericho's shoulder, and then literally during the match, that's what he's working on. That sells the story of this very fast-paced match. Yeah, a, a quick opener to open us up, Chris. Uh, and for however hated Regal is, um, Jericho was in that sort of sort of pool of Jeff Hardy's, Matt Hardy's, Scotty Two Hotties, as the mid-carders who get cheered no matter what. They were beloved by the crowd at this time period. Yeah, you've just named all of my favourite wrestlers in 2001. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I loved Chris Jericho around this time. It, uh, I forgot how much I loved him till he comes out and his entrance, like Howard Finkel even introducing him, just all of it is so, so good and it just takes you back to such a good time. Um, JR points out that, uh, during this match, points out that they're going to have 11 matches on the main card with six titles on the line. Sadly, Crash Holly doesn't get one with his light heavyweight title, which I was very good. <laughs> good but, um, I thought that both these wrestlers worked really well together. They had great technical styles. Um, 
Jericho um, breaks the Regal stretch, which is Regal's finisher, and then he can't do the walls of Jericho because his, his shoulders all messed up, like Scott said. Um, I thought it was really good. I think it only went like seven minutes. I thought it was totally shorter than it could have been, but obviously with this many matches on the card, they, they had a lot to work through. And also, first of my poster mentions in the crowd for this, I saw there was a poster that said T-A-S-T Wrestling, like, tastwrestling.com which I think the guy got taken off him after like two matches because it didn't appear any longer like on the hard cam went on the website earlier today no longer active sadly no idea what that website was for oh and another poster another poster uh, during this match that just said I'd rather be in China Uh, well you know the signs do give me a good segue to Gary because you did get your viscera section second stole when you went to SummerSlam in 2019. Chris says that the match only goes about seven minutes, but it is, it's one of those short, sharp, quick matches that used to open WrestleMania about this time. It wasn't about a mat classic or a, you know, a, a big ladder match. It was something, somebody the crowd loved and somebody the crowd hated to get the crowd going. Yeah. Do you know, I, I rewatched this match in preparation, we watched the show rather in preparation for the show. I didn't like this match. Um, it might just be me. I thought a uh, you know, hot start the, uh, the show, Jericho, massive pop when he came out. As you said, everybody hated Rigo. I thought um, Rigo as commissioner was brilliant. Um, yeah. I just thought it fell. I thought it fell a bit flat. Not long after the start of this, I, I love both guys. I just didn't think they worked worked together. I mean, might be personal taste. It wasn't as the high energy start that I was hoping hoping for. Also, didn't make sense to me why was Regal booking Jericho and all these stipulation matches. Uh, you know, stacking the deck against them, but then didn't book them in a stipulation match. Here. Also, I just wanted to say the real stretch when he put that move on, that I always thought looked absolutely devastating. John Cena, take note, watch how to do it, learn how to do it properly if you're going to do it. I just thought brilliant, uh, brilliant finisher. But yeah, um, I just thought it was a bit flat. Well, the match does start quite quick. There is a nice suplex from the top rope by Regal. He does, he is, I think, more going after the body, uh, Dave, here. Uh, but the rule in wrestling, you introduce something illegal, it will get used against you. Uh, in the lead up to the finish, Regal pulls the turnbuckle off, only for Jericho to throw him face first into it. Yeah, I mean the something I did notice about this mania is that you know, despite you know the illegal tactics, the referees just seem to let it slide in a lot of ways. So and this was no no exception, but. What I, I have to disagree with Gary, unfortunately. I thought this was actually quite a, a very solid opening match for WrestleMania because this was a time, you know, WrestleMania wasn't like you know an eight-hour marathon. You know, it was condensed into a traditional sort of three and a bit hours or so. And you needed a, a solid, fast opener to get you going between two reliable competitors. And there was a bit of a story behind it. You know, you had, you know, Regal the stack in the den against Jericho and then Jericho obviously pissing in Regal's tea, which is still one of the funniest highlights of this feud. Uh, but yeah, you know, Regal targeting the shoulder, the story was told there. Jericho was being a bit, you know, being a bit insane, like, you know, with his moveset first. He even, JR even mentions that, you know, he does his springboard to the outside. He actually overshoots Regal at one point and he's thinking that that hastiness might cost him. And, you know, there were some points, you know, Regal got the upper hand. He got the stretch in. Jericho couldn't do the walls. I think the only my only criticism of this match would be is that the finish felt a bit rushed. You know, Very sudden. 
yeah, the, the very sudden finish is kind of what let me down. Because you think, oh, Jericho's going for a line salt. Regal's probably going to kick out of this. And you think, oh, oh, wait, is that it? You know, but other than that, you know, no complaints. I thought it was a solid opener. I think it's uh, one of the, what you call it? I think it's a match of its time to me. Uh, I didn't mind the finish. I like that Regal, who's a non-wrestler in this role, we know he is. Pardon me. We know he is, you know, this great Matt technician, but he is playing the cowardly heel non-wrestler. He gets hit in the face with an illegal object, and I think I, I quite like the fact that you know it wasn't mucking about. Jericho went right after it because he was injured; he, he had no time to waste. But yeah, Jericho has the line salt for the win and retains the IC title. Just a wee quick fact: uh, the IC title was not successfully retained on the main show of WrestleMania until Sami Zayn defeated Daniel Bryan in 2020. That was the last time on the main show it was retained. Ross, you did me, Ross, you did me out of a job here. <laughs> um, next up, hardcore title triple threat match. Raven versus Mayor Glenn, Glenn Jacobs versus Paul White. I know this pay-per-view is 20 years old, but Raven has aged terribly. Have you seen him now? He looks like, he looks like Deadpool without his mask on now. Like a testicle with teeth. <laughs> <laughs> he is absolutely horrendous now. And it's not as if ECW has just happened. No, this was this was when he was fresh out of ECW and WCW's hardcore division. And he looks great here. He's quite a handsome man here, is is big Scott Levy. But no, now, oh good God. Uh Kane and Raven starting the match in the ring before spilling out into the crowd and Big Show giving chase. Uh, Scott, I think before the Boneyard match this year, Big Show was the only man to have a WrestleMania match and not get in the ring. Yeah, that's something about the attitude there I really don't really like because it happened too often and you have a multi-man match but, and so like there's one guy still coming to just start the match anyway. And Big Show is not a quick man. So Kane could have just chokeslammed and pinned Raven before Big Show even got there and Big Show would just be alright then, my turn to turn about off pack up the ramp and I remember watching the tape of this when I was a kid and I was watching it where at the time Kane was not winning a lot so seeing the Kane actually won this was a big shock to me like oh yay Kane did it <laughs> and what's also funny is that it may just be the nerd in me but I noticed watching this back Raven's wearing a, a Deathstroke t-shirt yes I noticed that straight away <laughs> That, but I do I still find funny Kane and a golf cart with Jimmy Corderas in the back is just still so funny to me even though it may be part of a bigger chase but Raven crashed his golf cart like almost immediately probably the weight of him yeah. carrying, carrying Big Show on the back of it yeah uh, Chris I know you're a, a sort of wrestling history buff I know you'll know this did you know that Raven nearly took out the entire pay-per-view when they crashed into those cables yeah, supposedly that black cable that they run over was like the power to the arena or something like that. Yeah. Um, would have loved to see if that was true. I would have loved to have seen what happened if they didn't crash the car. I, I, I genuinely loved this match. Like, yeah. um, the, the, like watching it back yesterday, I was just like, yep, I still love this match. Uh, I love all the little aspects of it. Do you know what I particularly loved, even though it was like a bit daft? Like, see the scenes, and I'm calling them scenes because it's like, an action film um, see mm. the scenes where they're going through the rooms 
and like yeah. the order they have to do everything and how specific like Raven has to first be thrown through the window and then Big Show and Kane have to fall through the door and then the wall into the room so that Raven can come back in throw some stuff about I was just like this is so well done um, I particularly liked that Raven came out with a trolley with his name on the front and I thought ooh that's quite handy you could, t- you could take that to Tesco with you and you wouldn't lose it it should be quite good Let's not mention Tesco. We might get David Campbell on screaming about <laughs> where to pay. He'll be always screaming about something. <laughs> um, <laughs> did, you, did you hear the commentators say that this young man Kane may be the future? <laughs> I mean, yes. Right about thirty at the time, or something, or thirty. Yeah. Hold that thought for nine years, and you just might be world champion again. Yeah. Uh, Big Show's old entrance music. Time's off on. This is sexy, Kane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. He's still, he's still full yeah. mask, but he's, uh, he's got a little bit of uh, cleavage on show. Uh, Big Show's old entrance music was absolutely phenomenal. I wish they'd never changed it. Uh, Raven going through the window was amazing. Um, you wonder how good this could have been. This was like basically like an 8 out of 10 for me. Um, Raven puts up a great fight against two bigger guys. And uh, yeah, the last little thing that I want to comment on in this match is I think this is the only time I've ever seen a ref do a vertical pin. Like he yes. taps this way. For the people that are clearly listening at home, I'm tapping the opposite way to the ground. Um, like, like a high five count. Yeah, like a high five count. I just thought that was. I just thought I was quite cool. Yeah, loved this match. Loved it. Yeah, Dave, this is something the 24/7 title should be. I think with the the advancements in like social media, you know, you could easily do wee scenes like this and put it on WWE's Twitter feed or upload it to the free version of the network. You know. There's so much chaos going on here, and yet, in in an era where there was so many top guys, they didn't worry about looking stupid at these things. They just went for it. Yeah, you know, it gave them you know a lot of creativity to do whatever they wanted. Uh, obviously, I think in these times, obviously because WWE is a PG product, I think they have to take away the sort of hardcore element, and there's there's limitations to what they can can do and not do. Like for example, I don't think nowadays. I think you'd be hard-pressed to try and get a scene where you try and throw somebody through a window. Although, you could probably get away with, you know, getting two big guys getting charging through a, a paper mache wall or something. <laughs> that would be, uh, you could probably get away with that. But there's so much hardcore aspect that probably wouldn't pass in this day and age. But as you were saying, like, you know, with the advancement of social media and, you know, all this technology at our disposal, it's, uh, it, it's certainly something, you know, they could have done on, like, pre-taped segments in the air air it whenever because you know pre-taping stuff isn't something that WWE doesn't do anymore because they do it for NXT UK they used to do it for full sale NXT so yeah the the 24-7 title definitely does feel like a, a very toned down version of the of the hardcore title these days but you know as Chris said you know no 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 qualms about this match but I think the the path the the wall spot was a little bit a little bit corny for my liking Oh no, I love everything about it. I think because I watched it at the time, so when I watch it, I get transported back. Uh, Gary, no Viscera this year, unfortunately. You know, you and I reviewed WrestleMania 2000, where Viscera had his glorious seven minute run. Seven minutes in heaven with the hardcore title. Um, But (laughs) what, what I loved about this match was, this was before, you know, Wikipedia, where you could go on and see the, the full card if you didn't know what the build-up. This was when I was only watching 
SmackDown if I was up in time for it on a Saturday morning. Yeah. Uh, th- this match here, it personifies the Attitude Era and I didn't know what was happening when I watched it live. So to see Kane, Big Show and Raider in the match, it was so random and yet so amazing. It was. I absolutely love this match. I agree with everything the guys have said. I love the Raven character. I was always a big fan of the Raven character. I think we probably didn't see the best of that character in WWF. Um, there could be more to to that there, um, but yeah, I loved it. And, and oddly enough, he wasn't the one to, take, to eat the pinfall in this match either. Uh, of all the stunts the guys were just talking about, um, one that I liked, but it's sh- shame we didn't go on for a wee bit longer, is when the Big Show locked Raven into that sort of caged area and came very quickly put the door open on it. Um, um, just thought it was great. I mean, you make a great point there, Ross. This could have been in the gimmick battle royal. Exactly. I was surprised you didn't say it. I'd set up that question just no. to give you your viscera section of the show. If only, if only Twitter had existed back 20 years ago, the folk would have been up in arms about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, cancel your network subscriptions would have been trending. Uh, <laughs> we'd have been demanding on Raw next night, Mabel Monday. Um, <laughs> yeah, the finish of this match is amazing. Big Show is about to throw Raven off the, would you call it? Raven off the stage. Kane kicks them both through this sort of well-placed prop. That's what I'm going to call it, because I don't exactly know what it is. And... When you're watching it live, the camera, you see in the replay, the big run-up and the big dive, you don't see it when you're watching it at full speed live. All you see is this red figure appear out of the mist and they Kane's big grunt, grunt of the night, as OSW says, just a big... It's <laughs> <laughs> Kane doing his best Chewbacca impression, dives off the stage for a leg drop. One, two, three... The only title, sorry, one of only two titles that Kane won at WrestleMania. Yeah, I mean, see, you're talking there about uh, Kane, this spot there, and that, for me, this is one of the reasons why this show was so great, is the pacing. So we had that sort of more technical match, you then had a physical sort of brawl with the six-man, and then you had this stunt fest with some really, you know, that spot you were just describing there, that, you know, you see a man like Kane take a bump like that, that you don't see that often. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was pretty, pretty impressive. I just thought, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it as we go on through the night, that I think that was one of the reasons that, we, you know, just the general pacing of the show and the position of the batches helped make this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Uh, we'll move on to our next title match, a European title match. I'm not going to make jokes here because uh, two men that are sadly no longer with us, Test and Eddie Guerrero. Eddie Guerrero, obviously, we've done many a show here on Suplex Retweet. Test, you know, not to speak ill of the dead, but he was a dull, dull person. It was Scott sent me a, a picture saying, are you ready for the test? There was one test fan, a lone testicle in the crowd here tonight. I, I love Eddie Guerrero's first run as European champion. This is leading to his second run of U- European champion. And the title had fallen into somewhat of a, a lower mid-card title. You know, you see guys like 
Kane and the Big Show going after the hardcore title. You know, before No Way Out, Rock and Kurt Angle were fighting for the hardcore title. European title has fallen so far here. Scott, I know you said the most interesting thing about this match is Perry Sarton's act. <laughs> he strutted down the ring to say, look at me, WrestleMania, I have a new hat. <laughs> oh, I feel bad for Test or East because like, he had, he, was, he had everything, he was all being positioned for, you know, being Stephanie, he's on screen, Beyonce and everything, and then as soon as Triple H comes in, he shoved the side, and then every now and then he'd have a wee mini push, where he'd win the European title or the IC title or something like that. People wonder, hmm, Tess isn't getting over well with because you buggered him off back in 99 when you could have done something with him. But mm-hmm. and on paper, this should have been good, but I think the placement of this really didn't service it. And plus the fact that the European title has really fallen, it's more than likes of the US title is today. Like, like we talk about how Midgard belts are put today, I mean, the European title is just falling. The likes of William Regal or something like that, we're, we're good with it, but Tess and Eddie weren't uh, really remembered for the European title runs, but impressive enough, there was enough shenanigans because you expect that from someone like Eddie Guerrero, but yeah, ultimately, yeah, quite forgettable, yeah. And I'm sure that one guy with the test thing was very disappointed at the outcome. <laughs> yeah, um, Gary, they kind of try to make test look sympathetic here with the finish, you know, all the radicals trying to get involved and, you know, Eddie laughing at him while wearing Perry Satin's hat, like, I've got your title, but... <laughs> He's, he's one of these people, I'm, I'm trying to figure out a modern day equivalent of Test. Just someone that's pushed, maybe Big Cass, when Big Cass got a solo run. Uh, it's just, it's just, I'm not interested at all. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're right there. This match unfortunately became a bit of a bathroom break match, didn't mm. it? There's, the, there's really nothing noteworthy other than uh, Sam's hat and the Lenko shirt, which is fucking wild. Why <laughs> can't go out dressed like that? Uh, beyond me, I also I thought the finish was a bit like just when it finished, I just felt like oh well, uh, and I don't remember this. You know, not all stories finish at WrestleMania. There is more to come, mm-hmm. but I don't remember this leading off into anything. I think I don't think it did. Worthy. I think it was, if memory serves me right, it was the you know, that was pretty much done then. Um, and if that was the case, it would be better for Eddie to go over clean and give him the rub of the elevation to go on there. It was, yeah, it was just, it was there. I, I don't, I can't give any more meaningful analysis to <laughs> Dave, I'm, I'm going to try not be overly negative on this show. Um, the European title is sort of, as Scott mentioned, it's like the US title where if someone big holds it, it gets attention. But when someone a bit lower down holds it, it sometimes gets thrown off to the side. Um, do you have any any positive thoughts on this match? Or no, you... I think you sort of hit the nail on the head. I think Eddie Guerrero was the one who carried this match, you know, with his, his charisma, his character. You know, he still had the whole sort of light, heat and steel gimmick and he used that to the fullest effect in this match. You know, he low blows test uh, without the referee noticing and then he hits him with the title to win it. 
I, it's just classic Eddie Guerrero, and I think he added a lot more to the European title, even though it was practically on its last legs by this point. Test, uh, you know, he didn't come across as, you know, the, the heroic babyface. Instead, he looked more like a Poundland Kevin Nash. And uh, the... <laughs> That's who he's like, yes. There we go. Diesel, what a joke, Dave. <laughs> uh, and I, I think the only really big memorable spot that involved Test was when he got his foot caught up in the, in the ropes and, you know, it took the referee and Eddie a good, like good like 20 30 seconds just to untangle him but if anything this was more a showcase of eddie guerrero's talents than anything else and you know perry saturn and his hat took away a lot of the attention so it was all about eddie and who was in his corner and i'm not kidding when i first watched eddie guerrero's entrance and i saw perry saturn's tash i swear i immediately thought hollywood hulk hogan yeah so many many hollywood hogan when Tess gets finally unhooked from like, the ref struggling to get him. Eventually, Eddie has to stop posing going, Grab, I need to help him here because he's been stuck in here for far too long. Yeah. One, thing I, one thing I will say about Tess, though, is that when he sort of came back and had his run in ECW, he looked a hell of a lot more intimidating. And I've seen him compete at a, a live event in 2006 when he faced Sabu. And when he was doing his entrance, he did the full lap around the, the ringside area. So he went, he got nose to nose with the crowd and I swear like I he was stood in front of me where I was standing and honestly I felt I felt intimidated like the guy was jacked as anything and he's such an intimidating look about me it made a huge <laughs> it made a huge difference to you know this character he was portraying at Mania 17 where he seemed more like a you know the long hair flowing and you know the sort of much more heroic type figure rather than a, a dastardly villain yeah um Chris you know, Tess does the, the stereotypical big man blonde hair that big man loves, but unfortunately never really happened for him. The next time I can really remember him is that when he jumped ship to the Alliance. I don't remember anything he did in between. Um, do you have any funny signs you saw in the crowd that could maybe save this segment, or are we moving on with nothing else? <laughs> nah, you, you, you guys, you are doing Test an absolute dirty here. I loved Test when I was. Oh, come on! Nah, I swear, <laughs> I, I, I always thought you were a testicle, Murray. I absolutely am. <laughs> um, I've, I, I distinctly remember being so gutted when Albert turned on him. And then I remember he won the European title, I think it was after the Royal Rumble maybe, and held it for a wee bit. I was dead chuffed that he was a champion. Test is 26 in this match, which I thought was absolutely phenomenal. I think he's got a really good moveset. Like he's got, in this match alone, he does a tilt-a-whirl slam, which I think he does amazing. He does an amazing pump handle slam. He does an amazing big boot. Some people could learn from his big boot um, by watching back this match. I yeah, there was the weird screw up with the um, test getting caught in the ropes, but I thought like this was the perfect combination of big guy with power moves against the wily heel who was trying to scamper past him. It was it was a bit of a shame because the next night on Raw, they did Eddie, Perry Saturn, and Dean Malenko taking on test and the APA and I was like ooh that would have been maybe a better match than this one but then the title wouldn't have been on uh, the line and I thought I wish there was some way to get all of the radicals in the match at once but yeah I loved test I, I loved when I if I remember correctly does the, a highlight of the I, it was sort of when he was tweening in the alliance there was a match on Smackdown where 
I think Shane McMahon and Stacey Keebler help him to win the hardcore title off Raven, uh, not Raven, uh, Rhino. I thought it was amazing. And um, basically, I think Stacey Keebler just gets her arse out and distracts Rhino and then test pins um, Rhino after a pump handle slam. And also in the alliance as well, I think he particularly stood out because, right, when the WWF had finally dumped WCW, Vince McMahon had to find a way of booking the guys in such a way that he wanted to keep on and didn't want to just let their contract expire. So the main way they did that was to put the belts on a bunch of guys. But Test obviously loved him so much that they made him win that immunity battle royal. And I always yeah, thought he had the Andre of its time. <laughs> exactly. I always thought he had massive potential. I think that you saw it a bit in ECW and uh, to a lesser extent, obviously, his little month-long run in TNA as well. I, I always thought he was really, really good. It's such a shame he was gone so early. I thought he, like, if you think about it, 26 years, he probably would have been wrestling for another 10, 15 years if he was still about. Yeah, I, I suppose it's different strokes to different folks. I can't fault you for liking him, but he's not for me. Not for me. He's gone too soon, I will say that, you know. Wouldn't wish. There's a sign that says, uh, Eddie Guerrero mows my lawn. Yes. Oh, lovely. Lovely undercutting bit of racism. Very casual racism, yeah. You wanted to know if there was a sign. I thought there was a sign. Where they signed the camera really pans right in on it. So, No, 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 I know. I know. I'm not not calling you a racist. I'm saying the sign is racist. (laughs) Um, I hear you're a racist now, Scott. Um, Moving swiftly on, uh, the Matt Classic, Kurt Angle looking a bit more David Hockney and a bit, a bit less Gary Kernahan at this God point. <laughs> Going up against Dad of the Year, Chris Benoit. Um, so this is, Dave, while you catch your shock together, this is something you said was a bit of a hidden gem. Yeah. Um, Kurt Angle at WrestleMania, you know, it, it got better matches throughout the years, but it was sometimes thrown into some, you know, middle of the card shit like let, let, let's call it what it is you know the storyline building up to it was Benoit had made him tap he had made Benoit tap mm. and it is a compelling storyline but you consider the year Kurt Angle had before that King of the Ring winner WWE Champion he beat The Rock he beat Stone Cold he beat Triple H he beat Keisha he beat The Undertaker he beat Kane he basically beat your you know your big big six of the Attitude Era you know you can maybe swap Rikishi for Jericho but he beat him to win King of the Ring anyway, so he's... I, I think he he suffered a wee bit of what Braun Strowman gets today, mm. which is he's, he's he's rushed onto the card last minute because he's booked well throughout the year, and then at WrestleMania time, it's like, shit, we got to get this guy in the card. Yeah, that's actually a very good analogy, you know, um, the, the Braun Strowman analogy, you know, he go, he, he seems to be the most dominant person in terms of not just win-loss records, but, you know, just the way he carries himself as a character. Uh, but yeah, it just seems like a sort of wedged into the middle of the card here, but against a, a good opponent, nonetheless, for him, because their, their styles are so familiar. And the opening couple of minutes where they stick to traditional, like, collegiate mat wrestling, that, it, it was a breath of fresh air, you know, compared to what we've seen earlier in the night with all this you know traditional sort of wwf style of wrestling as opposed to you know like legit style of wrestling and then it gets to a point you know i think Heyman says it on commentary best it's like angle was being out wrestled by benoit so angle turns it into a brawl and that's when you know things start to convert to the wwf style and the the shenanigans uh, go on 
at the same time. You know, ang like the, they're swapping submission holds. Benoit makes angle tap, you know, which was the builds up to the story. And there's a little bit of, you know, controversy thereabouts. But why this stands out for me is that I remember when Ric Flair originally did top 10 WrestleMania matches all the way back in 2003. This match came in at number 10. So that, that's why I always remember it as, you know, as a hidden gem of the WrestleMania classic. Because it was a good mix of sort of legit mat wrestling and the WWF style with a little bit of uh, controversy in between. Paul yeah. Heyman had a couple of great calls in this match. He said it's the most excited you can get with your clothes on in the building. <laughs> <laughs> and during the match, he said, never seen a greater display of holds and counter holds. I, uh, in my research for this, I've seen a few people describe it as the 2000s Savage versus Steamboat WrestleMania match. Our dear friend uh, Dave Meltzer gave it four and a quarter stars. And I do wonder if it hadn't been for the finish, if it would have been uh, higher up people's people's listings. Well, Scott, you're a resident uh, East meets West uh, Japanese reporter. Uh, insert joke about this happening in the Tokyo Dome and getting an extra star aside. Um, as, as a hidden gem, as Dave said, and Gary, you know, says commentary really does a job of selling it. I think JR's really good in commentary here. There's nothing spectacular about his commentary here. It's just he's calling the wrestling match as it happens. No daft plugs, no daft sponsors, just straight up calling the match down the middle. And you can tell he's enjoying it. It's the sort of wrestling he enjoys. Yeah, I think Dave marked off that extra three quarters of a star. I thought, no, this is only the Astrodome, not the Tokyo Dome. It's the wrong, it's the wrong type of dome. But for your more hardcore, like, pure wrestling fans of 2000, 2001, this is probably a dream match you need to go at it. Dave made a point I was going to make already about how Angle couldn't, like, Benoit was sticking with Angle on the map, so Kurt Angle changed it, and, like, I'm obsessing over Benoit making him tap, even though it's an official match. It's like you see the cracks in the facade of the Guru 2 shoes angle to more the aggressive wrestler for angle and this is one of the few examples where WrestleMania usually is the blow off to many feuds whereas this is a feud continuing because in the next month they'll have that 30 minute ultimate submission match stipulation I don't know why they've not done since because I know they've done 30 minute IMO matches but they've never done an ultimate <coughs> uh, submission match <laughs> and Kurt Angle's promos at the start seem to yelling at the text crowd lose the freaking cowboy hats you're not seven years old. And Paul Heyman turning to going, he's talking to you. And which is also funny, even a couple months later in a segment with Vincent uh, Austin, you'll see Angle wearing a cowboy hat going, I feel like a real cowboy. <laughs> um, Chris, this is, as Scott said, this leads into what is really one of the best rivalries of 2001. You know, I, I think people think more about their ultimate submission matches and I believe they had a two out of three falls match as well it's a great feud but I, I don't think people are drawn straight away to this match it is sort of a, a more hidden gem under the likes of Rock Austin McMahon Mania and TLC2 yeah that's the thing like if you think about it Kurt Angle has been WWF champion for a long time if you came to Wrestlemania the month before the Royal Rumble and said Kurt Angle's going to be nowhere near the WWF title picture by the time we get there. A lot of people would be quite shocked because he had so many great matches around that time, um, especially the Armageddon Hell in a Cell match where he retains against all other big guys in the WWF at the time. But yes, if you're going to bump Kurt Angle from the WWF title match, I think bumping him to a technical 
perfection match with Chris Benoit is a good way to do so. Like, see the, I think Dave touched on it a bit there. There's like different eras of this match. It opens up with that, you know, Matt Classic stuff that they're doing. Phenomenal back and forth. See when wrestlers that are evenly matched want to show that they're evenly matched at the start of a match. I want that to happen and not that uppy downy uh, fake Lucha Libre stuff that they do nowadays and also in ICW. It makes me want to kill myself. Like these guys actually proven with holds that they are as good as each other was just brilliant. And then Angle realizing that he can't get the upper hand and just going and punching Chris Benoit on the side of the head, I thought was absolutely brilliant. Um, Heyman points out Benoit is an undefeated WCW champion, which I feel, I feel nobody has ever called him in his entire career. He won the WCW title and left WCW the next day. Um, I love the constant counters of submissions, like catching ropes or flipping each other over. Um, the match sort of descends into a submission match where both of them realize that if they actually get their hold on, they will win the match. That's how good they, they that's how confident they are in their own submission moves. Um, the bit with Angle tapping with the ref down, um, Benmar kicking out of the Angle slam, which Heyman thinks might be the first time ever. They had the Miss Moonsault, the huge headbutt. It was just, the, the, the different eras of this match just worked so, so well. And then the reversal for the pin with the tights at the end, even though he didn't really have the tights in time for the pinfall. I, I loved this match as well. Uh, it was a bit of a shame, as we mentioned, about how this match was sort of built to continue their feud, because that's sort of not what you do at WrestleMania it's sort of normally WrestleMania is the blow off of a feud but yes I'm quite happy that these two are going to have many matches after this and um, yeah it was great and last point uh, there's a poster in the background right guys that just says NHS sucks what's that about wow. America wow <laughs> shots fired can you imagine if somebody a Republican it's people it's people that hate what they can't have but can you can't imagine have if, that in can you the US can you imagine if somebody had that sign like in this day and age? Like yeah, honestly, they'd be, go down, they'd be hung, drawn, and quartered. So as we move on from this one, uh, from a Matt classic to uh, just a, a quick point, Angle and Benmore, as you mentioned, Chris, their submission holds, they're confident if they get it on, they'll win the match. I think WWE's too concerned about keeping their big guys like he's never tapped out before. And when everyone in the roster has never tapped out before, it kind of loses the sparkle. You know, Angle and Benoit had tapped out Rock and Austin and Jericho and everyone in between. Uh, and, but from a Matt classic to what this era is all about, and I rewatched it before we started uh, planning this show, McMahonomania. Shane McMahon, the owner of WCW and the best wrestler in the world, versus the geriatric jackhammer that is Vince McMahon. <laughs> oh my, this for me, and I'll let you guys talk about it and then I'll gush at the end because if I start gushing about it, I'm not going to stop. Uh, Gary, I'll let you kick us off. What do you, try to explain this match, try to explain this to a non-wrestling fan as they look at you as if you've just farted. Yeah, I mean, when you start off by saying you've got these two guys who aren't wrestlers and they had this great match, which didn't really involve any wrestling at WrestleMania, <laughs> it does get a bit convoluted. 
But it was just mental, uh, you know, bit of brawling, uh, weapon shots, great kendo stick shots, uh, table spot, and we had Trish and Linda, and never has an old woman standing up a, off a chair had such an impact to it. Mick Foley played a great role in it. We had the nobodies from WCW making a sort of an appearance. Um, when I was watching this back, I had to pause it a couple of times to try and figure out who the fuck it was that was in, <laughs> in the crowd with WCW, as I'd completely forgotten most of them had ever existed. <laughs> it was just, it was I just... Think Sean Stasiak was there, and I'll explain why I don't like him later. <laughs> oh yes, yes, uh, there's a... Yeah, I think he's perfectly justified to dislike you, Mr. McLeod. <laughs> Thousands of people are justified to dislike me, but he's not one of them. Um, Scott, I mean, in the mentalness of this match, you know, and me introducing it, and I'm, I'm not sure if Gary mentioned it either, Mick Foley's the referee. Like, you've got a three-time WWE champion, a man who's wrestled in ECW, WCW, WWF. He would go on to wrestle in WWE and TNA do stuff on the independent scene with OTT, involved with ICW, a man who wrestled in Mexico and Japan. He is like a wrestler's wrestler. He is a brawler. He is a glorified stuntman, as some people called him. And yet he's the referee. Yeah, because I think his last match was the year previous when he got brought back for the four-way. But he apparently at the time, he sends it in his second book that he was determined to keep his retirement that he already broke a month after he already did it. But like, yes, I broke my retirement by coming back for WrestleMania, but this is me now, I'm officially, I'm done. Because he mentions like getting like screwed out of his commissionership by by Vince, one of the issues being the, the booking of the six-man Hell in a Cell, and that's where Rio came in. So this apparently was mainly to McMahon versus Foley at WrestleMania, and then it also got changed around <laughs> uh, to this. I did a joke about it in our last week's uh, final year WCW show, in that uh, where we talked about the simulcast for all, it's weird that the final episode of WCW Nitro, the closing moments are an angle to promote a match for Wrestlemania, which is weird, and like, I've seen some people say that they'd all, I'd use this match to show people and help get them into wrestling, like how do you explain to a non-wrestler that in a promo pack he starts a man yelling to his elderly wife that he wants a divorce and then yells at his son that he'll never forgive his mother for having him uh, but you know what? It's actually, um, yeah, I think Foley's involvement sort of added to the dynamic because there was, uh, I had seen those stories that, you know, Vince was supposed to face Foley in some aspect and he discussed, as Scott mentioned, you know, it was mentioned in his book as well. But one aspect I actually pop up from this is that, you know, when they were doing all those bin spots and, you know, Vince was, you know, hitting him with the, the bins and then Linda, you know, kicks him in the grapefruits. This is actually the first time we ever see uh, Shane do a coast to coast spot with a dustbin so it's uh, in a way it was sort of like a Shane McMahon's Wrestlemania moment before he jumped off Hell in a Cell at Wrestlemania 32 but I mean there was definitely some good aspects about it but it was by no means you know a wrestling match it was good in terms of storytelling and basically traditional traditional McMahon soap opera drama and then Trish's involvement as well is just sort of added to it a bit more you know they had the clash with Stephanie so there was it had everything of a big McMahon family mess. I think that's the best way to describe it. Mm-hmm. So, Chris, on one of our WrestleMania rebook shows for WrestleMania 32, I believe it was, 
David Campbell suggested that in the Hell in the Cell, Linda McMahon should have came out with a chainsaw. But here she needed no such thing. She All she had to do was stand up. She is the most wooden actress, I think, that's ever been. You know, uh, you know, the McMahon family are pretty good at promos. She is not one of them. But that, she didn't need it here. That stand up, that pop, I don't think there's been a better WrestleMania pop. Not until, I don't think this was surpassed until at least Seth Rollins cashed in Money in the Bank. And even then I would give it to Linda because there was more people there for Seth's thing. It was just such, <laughs> for those that haven't seen it, I don't know why you wouldn't have seen it. I... Vince, sorry, Vince looks at uh, Linda who's sitting there, he's been upping her doses to keep her sort of docile. He says, you're going to watch me as I beat your son to death. He sits on the corner of the ring and she just stands up and that pop, oh my God. I absolutely love this match. I think this is, um, this is, and I know how ridiculous this sounds, but this is in the conversation for best wrestling match ever. Um, the reason for that is, if, if you just take everything that happens in this match, encapsulating Shane, Vince, Trish, Linda, Shane, uh, sorry, Steph, WCW, WWF, everything about this match is just so, so perfect. I could watch this match 20 times back to back and I would, I would still absolutely love it. Just, <laughs> This is this is what it's all about. It's the it's the pomp, it's the it's the ridiculousness. It's the it's the the storyline, isn't it? Like it doesn't matter that these guys are not wrestlers. They just show you how to put on a perfect wrestling storyline. Um, I love the massive pop for Shane going through the table. Like if you if you look at the the uh, cameras going off in the crowd, that's like never forget that because you don't get that in WWF and WWE anymore. I love the massive pop for Trish slapping Vince and then Steph. Every time Foley got involved, whether that's like saving Linda or uh, towards the end of the match where he uh, attacks Vince. That was brilliant. It was, it's so, so good because it it's all so well laid out. And um, Shane's first ever coast to coast, as David said, the crowd go insane for this whole thing it's just the ultimate good versus evil match whole thing's amazing and uh, do you know what I, I i think um scott touched on it a little bit earlier saying that um this is a match you would show people if you wanted to show them what wrestling was about like i've got a friend who said that if you were to show any person any match then you would, you would show them this one just because start to finish it's just it's professional wrestling this is what it's all about yeah, it is everything. It is. It's Vince getting his comeuppance for mistreatment of Linda, of Shane, of Trish, of Mick Foley. You know, everything leads to him getting. That, that, this is why people don't really like, didn't, don't like the Stephanie McMahon character at all. Because although, you know, although the build up to WrestleMania, Vince was. You know, he was, he was unbearable, you know, he was getting one-ups on everyone. But the likes of Stone Cold and The Rock were still hitting him with stunners and rock bottoms and all that in the meantime. Whereas Stephanie puts herself so high up to get then maybe speared once or knocked through a table. And it, it just, it doesn't work out that way. You need to have drip feed them little bits and, then, and give them the big payoff, I think. But on your subject, guys, of showing you it's never seen wrestling before 
So I have a cousin, David, who he listens to the podcast Wrestle Me because it's a spin-off of a football podcast he listens to. And he was talking about Mankind Undertaker to me. He went, it was so mental, I had to go watch it the way they were describing it. And then he texts me saying, another bit I just heard and watched was Vince McMahon brings out his wife who's in a wheelchair just so he can make out with another wrestler in front of her. Jesus Christ. And he, he asked me, like, what was the point in it? And I get so excited. And it, you don't realise how nuts this is until you type it out and send it to a non-wrestling fan. Right, mate, Vince had his wife in a chair for months and was keeping her docile by upda- upping her doses of drugs. She went into a shock state because Vince wanted a divorce. Then Shane versus Vince takes place at WrestleMania because Shane McMahon wants to batter his dad and just to fuck him over, he bought his competitor WCW. So now Shane owns Vince's real life rival company. She's been forced to watch as Vince beats down and then she just stands up. And he he texts me back, is that it? She stands up. And I had to send him the link and tell him the exact second. Just watch that match. And it's, it's from when she stands up the pop that gets, then the pop Mick Foley gets when he gets in the ring and beats the shit out of McMahon. Trish gets to be pop before that because she beats the shit out of Stephanie. Then Shane gets the massive pop for the first ever Coast to Coast. This, Gary, you sent a message to the chat there that Meltzer gave us three stars. I don't think you can rate this. I'm sorry, I don't think you can rate this on a normal thing because this to me is attitude era at its finest it's it's crazy it's over the top it's stupid it's unrealistic but at the same time it's hilarious it's it's just so good and for me it is it is an amazing match and i know we'll talk about rock austin later and the end of that match and how people aren't too much of a fan of it I'm not a fan of it, not because of the Austin heel turn, but because Vince comes out after this. I think Vince should have been off TV for a good while after this. Mm-hmm. But I'll move us on because if I stay on this, I'm going to talk about it forever. I, I just, I love this match so much. And there's a Rangers game on the night and I want to watch it. So um, moving on from that to Triple H versus The Undertaker, the first WrestleMania where Triple H uses the game as his entrance music. That classic uh, entrance from Motorhead, it's all about the game. And how you game it, it's all about the game. And I'm the gamer, all about the game. <laughs> Lenny clearly didn't write the game. He clearly did not bother to learn the, the words. And I can't blame him. Um, but uh, Scott, I know you're not a fan of My Time as Triple H's theme song. What would you rather, uh, a drugged up, coked up Lemmy yelling the game at 60,000 people for 20 minutes or My Time? Oh, I'd take Lemmy all day, you know, because I think he does this again at risk of me at 21. I don't think it's any more coherent there either. <laughs> and like, Triple H tells a story about Lemmy once saying to him, like, I'm going to stop coming to see your matches. And Triple H said, why? Because every time I come see you, you lose. <laughs> so I think it's before this. They mentioned to make a brief reference to Undertaker being eight and zero at this point before he beats Triple H to become nine and zero. So the Undertaker streak isn't a big part of the the show where the Undertaker match is as big as not bigger than the main event. I think this is kind of a consolation for Triple H because they wanted Taker on the show, 
and then one of Triple H on the show, but Triple H was apparently very annoyed about not being in the main event that year because he'd been in the main event the year prior. And also the fact he'd beaten Austin at No Way Out, who was the number one contender. And well, I think it's funny that JR calls it, oh, this is going to be a match that we talk about for years to come. We'll talk about it for 10 years until we get to May 27, where we pretend these two have never fought at WrestleMania before in a much worse <laughs> match. Yeah, I. It's certainly the weakest out of the three matches they have, but Gary, something the other matches don't have that this match does is the world record longest bump in history for a referee. (laughs) Uh, I really enjoyed this match uh, at the time and enjoyed going back and watching it. Yeah, the referee bump. Uh, I think one of the things that I liked about this one, I mean, the the entrances were, were you know, pretty cool for the, that time. I think this was the Undertaker's best WrestleMania match at that mm-hmm. to that point by by some distance uh, as well. Um, it was fresh as well. It was an, you know, the first time the two of them had met, or, well, at least on television, at least, so it was a fresh pairing as well. Well, 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 you, you show Shotgun Saturday Night some respect. <laughs> when Hunter Hearst, when Hunter Hearst Helmsley fought the Undertaker in 1996. Oh well, you're oh. just schoolboy me. I feel. <laughs> 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 um, the other bit I loved about this one, I don't think we really seen this. Like, we didn't see it in Mania until fairly recently. Again, the brawling in the crowd and then up into the scaffold and and some of the bumps off them were pretty cool. The sledgehammers uh, shot as well looked pretty devastating. Yes. Um, as well, I understand it was a gimmick one, but it's still done quite a bit of damage. damage. So there were a couple of spots in this one when the Undertaker did the last ride as well. The way he sort of like would grab them by like in this instance Triple H pants and pull them up a wee bit higher looked pretty. I always thought that looked pretty devastating that move as well. I really enjoyed this match. Uh, I enjoyed going back and watching it. Yeah, the referees bump. You know, in the olden days, uh, Chris will back me up on this one. I'm sure. There was always a special moment when the referee was kind of like half groggy um, and he managed to count and it always took ages and then you get the final three and folk would go mental. Um, false finishes are done slightly different these days, but yeah, this one with the referee being out for like half an hour didn't they help. <laughs> yeah, I think um, Chris with... Uh, so it was sort of a surprise and just because of the how the ending was going to go in the Rock Austin match. That became a no DQ match. We already had the hardcore title match on the show. We had uh, TLC2, obviously another big gimmick match. I don't think they wanted to have too many gimmicks on the show. So unfortunately, Undertaker and Triple H, with all this stuff planned, had to kind of just say, right, let's kill Jimmy Cordellis <laughs> so we can fight in the crowd. Was it not uh, Mike Yoda that was refereeing? Yeah, killed whoever the ref was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Undertaker's elbow to the back by the ref. That's why he does the take the ref through. Undertaker's elbow is that devastating. Why is Undertaker never using the elbow drop? Fair thought, thought, thought for Mike Yoda. He took a ton of abuse in this match. Like, you know, right. he gets... Fair thought for Chris Murray, who I directed the question towards, and Scott <laughs> and David just jumped right in. Do apologise, Chris. <laughs> no, 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 no I, I agree with what um, the guys were saying. Like, that's how they justified it, because it wasn't like the ref got, you know, got bumped with... Uh, um, you know, when they do like a corner spot, uh, flipping at the corner and like the ref was attacked by Undertaker and no, well, Triple H and then Undertaker. 
Um, I, I absolutely loved it. I, I love this match so much, as I've said with everything. Um, I love both entrances. Undertaker's entrance is probably my favorite entrance ever. Anyone who criticizes American Badass Undertaker is blinded by recency bias because I thought that whole gimmick was actually really good. It was a great way to improve yeah. the Undertaker character because it was quite stale at that point. It was also the first... Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it was also the first Undertaker that I watched, so I'm always going to like remember this fondly. Um, JR mentions briefly, Scott said that Taker's 8-0. and um, there was, uh, I, I just loved the, the back and forth. I love the intensity. Like, two of these wrestlers... Like they're they're both like strikers, and when it starts with Taker and under uh, sorry Taker and Triple H just going at each other, it was so 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 good. The, the only criticism is maybe the match was a bit long, maybe the bits outside the, the ring were a bit long, but I loved the the going back and forth, Taker going for the last ride, the sledgehammer, then uh, see that spot with Triple H on the corner going for the ten punches, which then gets reversed into the last ride. I remember that so vividly, just thinking, of course that's what he would do. That's his finishing move. That's of course how he would win this match. Triple H is one of the best wrestlers of the last twenty years, but he should never have let himself get in that position because that's how he was going to lose the match. And actually, it only lasted about an hour. But on the Raw the next night, out of how good this match was, Triple H was kind of face for a while. Like, he comes out on Raw and he says, do you know what? I lost, yeah? But I loved that match. I loved every single minute of it and I can't wait till we do it again. And um, I was just like, yeah, like both of these guys came out looking absolutely amazing. Tri uh, Taker came out on top, but both guys just turned up brilliant. It just shows you, like, you don't need a belt or even really a gimmick match for these two to do really well oh and also two two amazing posters from the crowd here um, <laughs> one one i didn't catch all of it said matt stay out of my and then i couldn't see the last word oh. and then my favorite um poster of the whole event how's the view from the couch jamie <laughs> <laughs> That is clearly someone who wouldn't commit to buying tickets and didn't think his friends were going to buy them and then they bought them and it was a big, like, should we maybe see if we could scalp some tickets or should we be the bigger man? No, get me some poster board and a permanent marker. <laughs> I remember that three three of my friends went to, an, I think it was an NXT show, it was the first NXT tour in the UK and I was like, I am not paying WWE prices for an NXT show is supposed to be the development show. It cannot, it does not possibly justify being full price. And uh, they went with a poster that just had my Twitter handle, so you can see it on the WWE network. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you went to, to SummerSlam, you should have just had that for everybody else. And yes, who was when it. Stevens watching it, just like it was the view from Stevens' couch. <laughs> it was the my view thing. from the cheap end of Bell's Hill. <laughs> My favourite moment of when Gary was on TV at um, SummerSlam was when him and Lucy waved to the camera and Dave waved oh, back and we all just turned and went, Dave, why the fuck are you waving at the TV? <laughs> <laughs> it was a moment um, of madness, give me peace. <laughs> Dave, uh, Chris says about recency bias when it comes to The Undertaker and Gary talked about how this was undoubtedly his best match up until this point at WrestleMania. Mm. I really like the American Badass Taker and I, I did like the build up to it as well, you know. He had a weird thing about his bike, you know, don't touch his bike and Triple H broke that rule when he threw his bike off the stage. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, it's uh, American Badass Taker was, you know, it's it's one of those matches where you see him where in his first sort of first incarnation of the gimmick, <laughs> and it comes across really well. You know, Jr. emphasizes, you know, Undertaker's a proud Texan from Houston, and he's uh, he's going to batter the game to every every which way uh, possible. And but I also like how you know he didn't seem completely in control of this match. It made Triple H look just as strong. I, it's particularly when I think Undertaker goes to the last ride and Triple H grabs the sledgehammer and whacks him over the head with it, and yet he's still able to kick out. That's the kind of Undertaker in his prime, as I would say, before he returned back to the Deadman gimmick. And, you know, I think his best years were obviously 2007, 2008. But this version of, you know, proud Texan American badass coming out to Limp Bizkit on his motorcycle, I mean, what's not to like about it? Yeah, WWE's favourite band, don't you know, Limp Bizkit? I understand Vince McMahon listens to them regularly while getting his cardio yes. and yep. Tony Chibble um, refers to them as WWE's favourite band in the whole world. <laughs> Just imagine Vince on the cross trainer. My way, the highway. Rolling, 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 rolling. Um, so, Dave, I ended with you on this match. I'm going to start with you on the, the next match. Uh, TLC 2. Yes. What a match. This is... Um, it's regularly featured in some of like the best WrestleMania match lists, and rightfully so. There's always there's the main event that everyone remembers. There's the dark, you know, dark horse classic, the hidden gem, and then there is the match. Yeah, uh, this and the McMahon, I think, are tied 50-50, I think, for me. Maybe, maybe for you, but for me, this. Uh... The show stealer is TLC2. I mean, maybe I'm just being biased towards because I like a good ladder match, but when you get chairs and tables involved along with three of the best tag teams, you're going to get sheer golden anarchy. That's the way to put it. And, you know, the previous year we did the triangle ladder match. Remember I mentioned uh, Ric Flair's top 10 WrestleMania matches earlier in the show? That this The triangle ladder match at Mania 2000 was number two at the time. I, I'm amazed that TLC2 didn't make that list, which is because I honestly thought this was better. And it just had everything, you know, you could ask for, you know, specializing their own weapons, the Dudleys, you know, putting folk, putting Lita through a table, uh, doing the, the doomsday device to other people. It's uh, the Hardys, you know, jumping off every single ladder possible. I think Jeff's, one of my favorite spots, actually, apart from Edge spearing Jeff from the titles, was when Jeff actually swantons Rhino and Spike Dudley through the two tables. And this was quite memorable because Spike actually ended up getting his getting his teeth knocked out from that swanton. And it's just a shame because Spike clearly got the worst of it and Rhino just sort of fell off at the side. Kind of, and it was replicated almost at WrestleMania 33 when he did the exact same spot to Sheamus and Cesaro and Cesaro got the worst of it. But yeah, I honestly can't say anything wrong about this match. Uh, and, you know, apart from you know, the obvious spots, the, other, the only other one that really stood out for me was Matt and Bubba Ray getting thrown off the top of the ladder and they go through the four tables. Like, that was sheer... Yeah perfection sensational uh scott dave touched on it there the likes of rhino lita and spike dudley they would you call it actually i'll make a check wikipedia but they don't get like a credit of like being with the dudleys edge and christian and uh matt and jeff but they they add to this match in every every bit of it i think i think they they put their body through just as much hell as the six people who are in it yeah, definitely, because I think everybody knew about Lita being with the Hardys. I think it was only in the weeks leading up to this that because the ECW closed that Rhino came in, part of Edge and Christian uh, group, and then the, the runt of the Dudley litter to keep calling Spike coming in. Spike 
agree he did get the worst out because that unprotected shot with the chair from Lita bends over the head of Spike Dudley and then I was going to mention if Dave didn't uh, him losing his two front teeth on that table spot and you know Lita took her first year and she took the, the 3D as well but I think especially given uh, Rhino how intricate he is to helping Edge and Christian win because obviously everybody knows the bot with Edge doing the spear off the ladder that takes Jeff Hardy out of the match and it's Rhino who takes out Matt and Bubba for that spot to the four tables so it's just Edge and Christian and Devon so basically within a few minutes Edge and Christian with the help of Rhino take out three of their four like opponents and so basically they've got that clear path up to the titles mm-hmm. which is really smart having Rhino as part of their group and we know they'd have them for the next couple of weeks but I do agree with Dave like there's the odd wee bit here and there that, that's really like, like eh, when Jeff tries to climb over these ladders but it fails but that's one small nitpick in the straight match and you're trying to put together all these spots then uh, you something may or may not go wrong you can't uh, bail one thing I didn't make sure I note down is that Asian Christian hang Matt up in the tree of woe and they stand on his genitals and oh. screaming <laughs> and I thought and I thought like but it's a man likes to go on about his grapefruits but like Matt went through that spot and still still has four children so the hardy grapefruit's stronger than the McMahon grapefruits. And to think that's not the worst thing ever that Edge did to Matt Hardy. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's a foreshadowing and have ever unintentionally uh, Leah stops Edge claiming the ladder. Edge is jerking Leah's jerking Edge off the top of the ladder. Oh. <laughs> 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 swiftly on. Uh, <laughs> this is a guy that made a dad in the year joke about Chris Ben Moyle. Jesus. Um, <laughs> So, we have, there's so much in this, guys, uh, so many great spots, but Gary, you've seen the Hardys in a WrestleMania ladder match when you went to WrestleMania 33. Like, there's spots in today's ladder matches that you can trace back to these, like, th- this match here. These were, like, the originators of the big spot fest. You know, you never seen this when the likes of Sean and Razor Ramon fought, you know, it was just basically the big splash from the ladder and that was it. Yeah, correct, and one of the things, I think this match really stands the test of time and the way that some of those other ladder matches you were referring uh, potentially don't because the envelope gets pushed so far. I mean, some of these sort of bumps, even by today's standards, are still mental. Um, so there are so many of them. And one of the things I really liked about this match was the there was so much happening. So they would put the tables up outside the ring but then so much other stuff happened that you completely forgot about it. Whereas another, you know, today you see a table gets set up, something happens, but you know they're going to come back to it. But I think the way they told the stories in this match, there was just so much going on that you forgot about some of these things, which I thought was was genius to it. Uh, I think you were right, Ross, when you talked about the introduction of uh, or the the impact that Spike, Lita, and Rhino had in this match. Um, like I, I remember watching this live, and I didn't think Lita or Spike were going to be there based on the storyline. I believed it, um, and I also wasn't. You know, they had only recently come onto the scene then as well. I thought Rhino looked utterly amazing uh, through this uh, as well. And our fr- friend Dave gave this four point seven five stars. I mean, what what more do you want? Scott said about, you know, there's one wee nitpicky spot that, like, until Scott mentioned it, I'd forgot it because there is so much that happens, you know, it's one minor flaw. Do you want everything to go perfect? Like, I'm sh- 
just a knob. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> Chris, possibly, like, there's... We talked about WrestleMania moments, and I don't think there's a, a WrestleMania moment quite like Edge spearing Jeff Hardy off the top of the ladders. It's still used in the promo packages to this day. It's still used in the Don't Try This at Home adverts. But it's such an iconic spot. You know, you mentioned earlier about the flash in the cameras going off. It's the spear, it's Edge's face coming up and the look of regret and then just falling to the side. It's just such a great spot. Yeah, and and this sort of, this match is the absolute definition of how to do a spot fest match and not peak too early, not lose people's interest. This is my favourite match of all time. I absolutely love this because it's it shows how you can use weapons in a match but not become like a hardcore blood fest. Um, it shows how you can do lots of big like eye-popping moments just perfectly. Just everything about this. It was the most perfectly choreographed match in wrestling history. So good to hear the Dudleys doing Get the Tables but without the one, two, three bit that they do more recently. Um, oh, it, I, hate it, I hate that. I hate that so much. Um, you had that brilliant shot from above of all six wrestlers on the three ladders in the middle of the ring. Um, all three run-ins and just how like vital the three run-ins were to the actual match. Like um, Spike taking out Christian at one point, Lita with the chair shot on Spike, and then Rhino had the the most significant involvement in this match. Like like all three teams had a backup. Right, but Rhinos was essential. He proved that Edge and Christian had the best backup. So Edge and Christian deserved to win because they had the best backup. Like mm. Rhino's involvement is the reason that they win. He takes out Matt, he takes out Bubba, and then he helps Christian to actually take the belts. Yes, there was the spot with the ladder walk. I sort of in my head was trying to figure out what he was actually going for and if it was essentially just so he could walk to the belts. Because if you see straight afterwards, if you think about it, he, he's walking towards the belts and then the segment afterwards with the edge spear, he's sort of swinging thanks to Bubba getting involved and sort of swinging him. And I thought, oh, maybe he was supposed to go from that to swinging on the belts to the spear, which would have just been phenomenal. Everything about this match just had big fight feel. Like even if you looked when they were walking to the ring, they had these big, huge sweeping shots using like a... It's like a boom camera. I don't know what the official name would be, but when like the guys will be walking down the ramp, but then the camera will be panning across the crowd to them and across the crowd again. It just had this brilliant grandeur to it. There's almost nothing wrong with this match. Um, the, my, my only thoughts were on this. One, why did the Fink introduce them as Christian and Edge, which stuck he out? Does, he does it all the time. He does it all. Listen, <laughs> when you see in the, the retro review, it's something I've noticed. It's uh, so weird. Bubba Ray, uh, it's Bubba Ray and Devon and everyone else, but to think it's Devon, Bubba Ray, and to everyone else it's Edge and Christian, he calls them Christian and Edge. That really the bugs only, me. The only one he doesn't do is Matt and Jeff. He, Matt and Jeff, he gets right. And also something else I've noticed for watching this match and other retro reviews, people talk about um, JR getting mixed up with the Young Bucks and calling like Nick, Matt and Matt Nick. You know, they're, they're brothers who look quite alike. The, the only difference is they've got a different colour hair. He calls Bubba Ray Devon and Devon Bubba Ray more times than you'd like to think. And there's quite big differences between them, you know what I mean? 
know, one's bald and one's not. I mean, other things. <laughs> but, um, and then the, the last thing I wanted to ask you guys just quickly before we finish up in this match is, so why do you think with everything that was going on in this, the Dudleys being the table experts, Hardy's being the ladder experts, why do you think it was that Edge and Christian come out on top in all three of the big matches going from WrestleMania to SummerSlam to this WrestleMania? That's always sort of plagued me. Why them specifically? Is it just because they were the, the heels? Like, I think they were, they were the team that WWE were really behind. You know, I think... Matt Matt thinking of it is that they needed it. The, the Dudleys had their ECW lineage to go on. You know, you've seen how Paul Heyman still gets ECW chance, you know. Uh, so ECW is a lineage you can sort of live off. Matt and Jeff were the cool people that the young people liked. I, I sound so old. I feel like Grandpa Simpson. And I was cheering Matt and Jeff, which was the style at the time. <laughs> Matt and Jeff were loved by all age groups. You know, just listen to the pop, the women screaming when they take their tops off. They were loved by everyone. They had like the youth demographic. Edge and Christian needed something. So be, they were the heels. They were the ones that ruined the wrestling purists' favourite tag team, the Dudley Boys, and the young people's favourite tag team, the Hardys. That's my theory on it. But we're going to move on because we're we're about to wrap up. So just just to run down the card, you know, we've talked about X Factor beating Grandmaster Sex and Steve Blackman, Chris Jericho defeating William Regal to retain his Intercontinental title, Taz and the APA defeating the Right to Censor, Kane defeating Raven in the Big Show to win the Hardcore title, Eddie Guerrero beating Test for the European title, Kurt Angle defeats Chris Benoit in a Matt Classic, China defeated Ivory for the Women's Championship. Shane defeats Mr. McMahon in a street fight with Mick Foley as a special guest referee. Edge and Christian defeat the Hardys and the Dudleys in the TLC match for the WWF Tag Team Championship. Iron Sheik defeats Hillbilly Jim last in the Gimmick Battle Royal. And Undertaker defeats Triple H. And it leads us to this. It's a match that defines an era. It is it is possibly the biggest WrestleMania main event. I'm sorry. Like, I know Hogan was the star who started it all. I know that John Cena transcends wrestling now with his Make-A-Wish stuff. But this is the two, for me, the two biggest stars in wrestling history. It's Dwayne The Rock Johnson. It is Stone Cold Steve Austin. It is The Rock at his peak popularity. It is Stone Cold in his return in his hometown. And oh my God, it... I know we mentioned how Kurt Angle wasn't in the title picture because he had been removed from it at No Way Out. I know Triple H was upset that he couldn't politic his way into the main event, but I'm sorry, for this time period, we always talk about missed WrestleMania matches like Flair and Hogan or Ambrose and Rollins. This was the right place, the right time, and anything but this match would have been a travesty. I've got the t-shirt on and everything, you know, 20, 20 years later and I'm still wearing the t-shirt from it. It is an amazing match and it not only defines an era, it closes an era here. Chris, do you want to open us up? You ended the last match, do you want to start us here? Yeah, I mean, The Rock was all I cared about when I was growing up. It was just all about The Rock getting the belt back off of Triple H or Kurt Angle. I knew I liked you, Chris. Yeah, um, and um, I, I think I said when we went through The Rock's career that my like sort of love of The Rock stopped when he came back. The pre-John Cena 
Um, but this this era of The Rock is just that was why I watched wrestling. Um, I, I just constantly believed he was the best wrestler in the company and he should always be the champion. Um, on the other side of the coin, I loved the disturbed version of Stone Cold Steve Austin's theme. It was amazing seeing just how massive a pop he gets coming out. This is basically the biggest pop ever, is when Austin comes out in Houston to just how many people are going absolutely mental. Uh, they kick off with the old ICW Garage Mid-10s booking. Every match has to go through the crowd. Um, it was weird. It was weird seeing uh, the, the Rock being booed, but that just shows the scale of Austin's fandom in Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jr. Right, this was a, I had one tiny criticism. Jr. said this is the most personal of title matches that I've ever watched. But is it like The Rock says he wanted to face Austin because Austin was the best challenger? So that's not really that personal. He just knows that Austin's the best person there. But then Austin says this is all about him getting the WWF Championship. It's got nothing to do with The Rock. He just needs the belt. That was my only Mm. issue with it. Everything else about it was great. And multiple times The Rock had the match won, proving my fandom and proving that he was the best wrestler in the world. And he beat the biggest challenger in the company. The Rock had it won twice. Uh, First of all, before Vince gets involved. And then second of all, I think Vince gets involved again after a rock bottom. The finish is phenomenal. Um, Paul Heyman says actually before the match ends, we are witnessing something that we've talked about for years to come. Paul, you are right. We are here almost 20 years to the day we're doing it again. Um, there was a sign in the crowd that said, I went to school with Stone Cold Steve Austin, like that. Um, and most significantly, this match, the biggest match of the biggest pay-per-view of all time, doesn't even end on a move. It ends on about 40 chair shots and a one, two, three. It's brutal, start to finish, back and forth. Brilliant WWF Championship match. One of the best WrestleMania headline moments of all time. Um, I bet WWE are gutted that they can't replay this very much because everyone's covered in blood by the end. Like you don't see stills and like people standing on the corners at the end of this match very often, you just don't see it. And then most significantly, most significantly, uh, the culmination of the Attitude Era, the end on a picture of the bloodied rock, not Austin with the belt. And they say things will never be the same. And of course they never were. But that's my thoughts on this match. It's absolutely phenomenal. Over at you guys. Yeah, Gary, um, I mentioned how I didn't like Vince coming out to end it, but you have to wonder, like, The Rock was going off to Hollywood, you know, this was his first sort of foray, he was going to do, I I believe it was either The Scorpion King or Mummy 2, he was going to film, and he, he obviously wouldn't be in the company at this time. Chris talked about how Triple H was sort of a face because he had won the crowd over it, you know, earlier on the night, the next night on Raw, but he ended up joining with um, joining with Austin. You have to wonder what what would have been the storyline, or what would the ending have been if The Rock wasn't going to leave? Do you think they could have ended it that way, or do you think like just I'm gushing here? I'm just I'm just going to throw it over to Gary. Gush away on this match. Yeah, I. It's 28 minutes uh, the match was on for it was great one of the bits I loved about it obviously the video package you know you cannot watch that and not get hyped and psyched for this match mm-hmm. but one of the bits that really got me was Paul Heyman quite calmly saying this JR is the main event yes. and then the bell rang and I just thought I loved it I loved that bit of it um, 
there also what I loved about this was the fast paced start Austin the minute the rock turned round he didn't wait for the whole face off the belt being held up he just went straight for it and it was really fast paced start to it and then when you look back at the storytelling of the match when Austin turned at the end well the seeds had been planted all the way through he'd been behaving like a heel the whole match mm-hmm. and I I did not dislike Stone Cold's uh, heel turn I, you know, at the time I was like what the fuck uh, I couldn't believe it but you know, I would have liked this, obviously booking that followed wasn't great if The Rock hadn't gone away and then we'd have been off to the races I think with a heel Austin versus a face Rock which uh, would have been good a heel Austin versus a fa- uh, face Triple H would have been good but that's just like have to win, I'm going to do everything I can to win. There was a moment in the match as well where he had the rock and the sharpshooter and the rock got to the ropes, but it was a no disqualification match, didn't have to break and the uh, referees tell him to break the match and he flips on uh, break the hold, sorry, and he flips on the birds. There's just <laughs> little, little gems like that throughout the match that, that I loved and the finish to this one um, might have been more impactful if it hadn't been for the the train wreck of the previous year's WrestleMania um, mm-hmm. main event. But I, I just, you know, I remember watching it and my jaw was on the floor. I couldn't believe what I'd seen. Uh, and the calls, you know, Austin's having a beer with Satan himself. At our, I mean, there's just so much about it. I just, just loved it. Loved it all. I, you mentioned the seeds being planted. The very last line of that promo package, Scott, I need to beat you, Rock. I need to beat you more than anything in the world. <laughs> My god-awful Stone Cold Steve Austin impression. He says, I need to beat you with all due respect. You know, I need that. And we, we saw it with the end, the heel turn. He, he knew the only way that Austin coming back to fight a peak Rock with his knee problems, with his injury problems, with everything that was going on, the only way he could beat The Rock was to join with his biggest foe, Vince McMahon. I mean, that video package you were talking about, no, never has a song gone so perfectly with a wrestling video package than my way with this match. I mean, it's so good you forgive the fact that they include that random bit about Deborah being The Rock's manager which makes no sense and then ends up not playing into the match at all because like, that doesn't work so as austin says like take her out of the equation bam she non factor uh, and then in the match being no dq the fans are also behind more so behind austin in his hometown and just he's been like he said so aggressive in the match i think this needs to be no dq austin even locks in the million dollar dream at one point because he was brought in yeah. as proje of the million dollar man as the ringmaster way back in the day and i think Part of the reason that this is seen as the end of the attitude era is that the start of the attitude era is what people more commonly think of as Austin winning the title for the first time and he kind of been teasing the thing with Vince but Richard kicked off the night after and the fact that Vince is helping him win the title uh, this Wrestlemania is probably why they thought this is like the, per- the perfect end of it and yeah. I do agree with you about why Vince should have been off like TV because like, especially when you're given like the year before the McMahon's in every corner the following year Stephanie takes up a lot of time in the Triple H Jericho WrestleMania main event. So that's three WrestleMania main events in a row that involve McMahon very prominently. And Austin has even said that I wish I called an audible and just stunned Vince there and then and continued on as a face because like he felt like 
Idri gained some of his popularity, but I think part of that is that he's in his hometown. How long could he have ridden that momentum for? I kind of had to commend him for taking this slight like, risk of having him still like turn heel because he'd been a good heel in the past, and it would have been uh, unique to see like Austin as the heel and Rock as the face because usually it'd been the other way around. And yeah. like Dave put a thing out about for one of our upcoming feature shows about me and Max that should have happened at the point that there was rumours that they wanted to add Mankind to the Rock Austin at Mania 15. I think if they had done that, it would have made this match a little bit more special and that they face off before. Now they're bigger than they've ever been and they're on the biggest show, their biggest platform in wrestling. And I think it would have made this a little bit better because that WrestleMania 15 match is the worst of the three, whereas this is the best yeah. of the three by far. Yeah, uh, Dave, um, and I'm just going to pre- prefix this by saying I'm not having a pop at anyone here, but um, on Kenny McIntosh on Inside the Ropes had said before about how he felt this was the start of The Rock being the other guy. You know, he did this and then he had Hogan the next year. I, I disagree with that, you know, we're in, we're in Austin's hometown. You know, if we were in Miami, would it have been different? You know, maybe not. Austin and Rock were equally as popular. He's getting booed here in the exchanges. He doesn't get booed when he comes out. He doesn't get as big a cheer as Austin because he's in his hometown. But he get and then you think the next year, or even the year previous, you know, he had to put up with the McMahon family bollocks. He had to, you know, put up with Austin in his hometown and then the comeback of Hulk Hogan the next year. The Rock get kind of a raw deal three WrestleManias in a row. And yet he still holds his own. I'm sorry, like, outside of... Yeah, WrestleMania 18 in Canada, you, you, outside of... What do you call it? Outside of maybe the two biggest stars in wrestling of all time. Mm-hmm you know, being Stone Cold and Hulk Hogan. The Rock is massively cheered, no matter what. Oh yeah, and even oh, at, yeah. The, at the end, like there's, there is some booze towards Austin going with McMahon, not as many cheers because Austin's won his hometown. And in the WrestleMania 18 match the next year, both the performers get a standing ovation. Mm-hmm. The people's elbow still gets the million flashes of the cameras that we've referenced. So to me here, this is this is something I don't think you'll ever have again because I don't think WWE have ever managed to since have two performers of such popularity that could go face to face. One could maybe get a bit more cheers, but then the other one would completely bounce back the next night. Because look at the we talked about Triple H's reaction. Look at the reaction The Rock gets the next night on Raw when he comes out. Mm-hmm. They still they still love The Rock. So to me here, this is. It's not a downgrade on The Rock. I think it's just a nod to how popular uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin was. Yeah, completely. And I think this sort of boiled down to partisanship, which is why I think, you know, Austin was getting more cheers in the state of Texas, his home state. But towards the end, this is what I really enjoyed. You know, the the false finish, the number of false finishes that The Rock uh, kicked out of. I think it's sort of, that's what sort of won the Texas crowd back over to his side a bit. Because it was yeah. a test of desperation on the part of Austin to resiliency on the part of the defending champion. And that's why I think people, you know, they sort of captivate to a character like The Rock because he, he just gathers so much energy from the crowd. It doesn't matter, you know, whether he's you know, dominating a match or whether he's trying to fight for survival. It's That's what makes The Rock so appealing. And it doesn't matter who he's up against because... He has that presence about him that says, I'm going to get a reaction from the fans, whether it's cheering or whether it's booing. And I think Roman Reigns sort of sets a good example with that because it, 
remember when he was talking about his his leukemia diagnosis and he had relinquished the universal title he said it doesn't matter if he was cheered or booed it's the fact he was so happy that he just got a reaction from everybody and that's the same position the rock was in because he could generate either a positive or negative purely just from being himself and that's what i really really enjoyed about the the closing stretch of this match the, the rock's Resiliency is what won the people over. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, but the match itself, it does finish with, like, for years, I remember, like, I don't know any of you, people who are listening at home, who have got kids, maybe experience this. Kids can't just watch a film or a show or a wrestling event from where they last left off. They have to start again and try watch all the way through. And I did this so many times when I was younger that I actually don't think I've seen the finish until about two years later because my grandfather spoiled it for me like a week later. Oh, I've seen your favourite wrestler get beat. Well, thanks for that, Papa. And then I just didn't watch the finish. So like a couple of years later, when the when the chair shot finish happens, you're like, Christ, you know, and you mentioned, you know, David, the kickouts. The Rock, you know, I've often said The Rock was the Johnny Gargano of his day with all those uh, false finishes. So, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's an amazing match, two amazing competitors, and you know, we we talked about we we voted at the or you know the people that follow our Twitter at Suplex Retweet this time last year voted at the greatest WrestleMania match WrestleMania main event. Sorry. It's actually a year to the day since that time of recording that that poll went up. So, yeah, for me, this is the greatest WrestleMania main event. No matter what happens, the heel turn, the rock losing, you know, all those things. For me, I still think it's the greatest main event ever. But we're going to wrap it up there, guys. Do you have any last thoughts before we just wrap it up? Just one thing, when you look at the ingredients that made this the greatest WrestleMania, it's that it's that everything that went into it as far as i'm concerned there wasn't one thing that made this great there's so many things the music the venue the commentary mm. the graphics the uh, the performers the stories this pacing of the matches it all adds together and it all makes a great event yeah just to, just to add to that you know the, the venue i think was a big part because it was the biggest crowd and the biggest arena that they've had since about wrestlemania 8 so it was it sort of regained that level of grandeur that it's been lacking you know throughout the 90s and stuff and this really sort of brought back you know the wrestlemania as a grand spectacle yeah it's just it's absolutely sorry let yeah i was gonna say i think there is something for everybody it starts with a hot opener with an over face in it Got a couple of kind of glorified squats to some hardcore sale matches and spot fests. You know, that insane soap opera drama to make man, but all culminates in a greatly built main event with your two biggest guys, as it should be. So it's there's something for everybody on this show. Talking about the chair shot, I think if Austin had stunned Rock after a chair shot, that would have been a more impactful finish. But so I get why it's kind of weird jarring that that's the finish. But and then again, if you took as many chip shots as the Rock did, then you'd probably stay down as well, so you can't argue it's believability. No, no, you certainly cannot. I'm going to leave you guys with a short story about why I hate Sean Stasiak, who was up in the rafters with the WCW superstars. Sean Stasiak, two years ago, followed me on Twitter. I followed him back. I messaged him and said, Hi, Sean, we'd love to meet, interview you for Suplex Retweet, uh, talking about your career and your transition from wrestling into being a real-life doctor. And the good doctor swiftly read the message and unfollowed me. 
So fuck him. Uh, <laughs> can, I, can I add a message, a, story, a small story that would make you feel slightly better? I messaged him for a different thing I do about interviewing him. And I messaged a few different people at Wrestlers that day. And he got back to me in a worryingly quick amount of time. Like within a minute. And we talked about him. He said, but then he tried to make himself seem like he was busy. I'm like, mate, you responded to me like that. Don't try to make it seem like you've got plans. You're Sean Stacey, Hick. <laughs> well, there you go. WrestleMania 17, the show of Stadiac. <laughs> I've been Ross McLeod. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and everything in between at Suplex Retweet, the Sleep Suplex Retweet community on Facebook, and of course, follow us on Spotify, iTunes, Android, and Anchor, sponsored by Snickers Crunch, to find much more shows on WrestleMania, such as WrestleMania's Greatest Matches, WrestleMania's Greatest Openers, Greatest mania, mania venues, best and worst WrestleManias, you name it, it's more than likely there. Uh, thanks to my panel, David Hockney. Thanking you. Scott McLeod. Thank you very much. Gary. Thank you, guys. And Gordon Diel's favourite producer, Chris Murray. Thank you, Ross. Thank you for letting us talk about the best wrestling pay-per-view of all time. I look forward to when this goes up and people in the comments are like, eh, but what about NXT, Brooklyn, Seven, <laughs> uh, Four Horsewomen, uh, so much better. Shut up, you losers. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because we can say that because we're the personification of cool. Peace out. <laughs> there now follows an enthusiastic advertisement for Quiz Showdown. Hello guys, welcome to Quiz Showdown. I'm Daniel Campbell and in the show you're going to see the members of the Eat Sleep Suplex retweet team go through a very strange quiz. We don't know what the heck's going on with it, but you're going to have to watch to find out. Go check out on the YouTube channel now. That was an enthusiastic advert for Quiz Showdown.